0: Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. As always, I'm alongside the scout Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock. You can subscribe to this show on all of your favorite podcast apps. Tell a friend about Locked On NFL. Let them know their team is covered here on the Locked On podcast network in the NFL, MLB, NBA, hockey, college. We have got you covered here you can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Follow Matt at Williamson NFL. We I just saw we got a brand new host for Locked on Ducks, talking Oregon Ducks. And so I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of NFL draft knowledge you could pull from that gentleman about guys like Justin Herbert. And uh, man, draft season is coming up close. We've got a little bit of news here. Today's episode is mostly going to be about our brand newest Hall of Famers, those that got in those that did not, Matt, and I know you have some thoughts about those, and I was a little bit surprised about a couple of them. Uh, I want to start with some news, though, and the 49ers did get one coach poached, and it was officially announced, although we kind of knew it was coming for a couple of weeks because the Browns were waiting for the Super Bowl to hire their next defensive coordinator, and it is former 49ers defensive backs coach and defensive passing game coordinator Joe Woods is now the new defensive coordinator for the cleveland browns and woods was a defensive coordinator for one year with the broncos he came from the broncos to the 49ers he's been around the league a little bit well thought of guy and he did a number with the 49ers dbs this year that's for sure
1: yeah no doubt i mean that's a unit that i was worried about going into the season including sherman to some degree just because of his age but tart and some of these other guys that were pretty high picks all stepped up as well as several others that weren't, you know, household names to begin with or high pedigree players. So the pass rush sure helped. But I mean, I thought they got more out of the secondary than I expected. You mentioned he does have a good reputation. That's great. And I also think it's noteworthy that these two Super Bowl teams didn't get hit too hard in terms of pillaging their coaches. And uh, so I know sometimes teams don't want to wait because if you get in the Super Bowl, that's two more weeks until you can get them in your building at least. And then you can't start building, you know, pe- other offensive line coaches are falling and it's hard to build your staff this late. So that I think works against some of the guys, you know, the enemy Sala, some of those type of dudes. But it didn't work against Shanahan when the Niners went and grabbed him. I mean, although from what I recall, he was the hottest name in the league at that point and probably turned down several jobs and had his choice.
0: It's interesting because the 49ers might in the long run get hurt by this because according to my sources that Joe Woods was the guy who would have replaced Robert Sala if he got hired as a head coach as the Niners defensive coordinator. So if Sala gets a job as a head coach next year, now they lose the guy who would have been his heir apparent for defensive coordinators. So uh, potentially the 49ers might have to go a little bit deeper into their own staff or look outside the building to find a defensive coordinator if Robert Solly gets a job next year. So an interesting note there. And uh, just now that we have seen it, we, we Kevin Stefanski hired as head coach of the Cleveland Browns. They hired the young 32-year-old Andrew Berry as GM. How do you feel about this staff now that it's pretty much complete there in Cleveland?
1: I kind of feel incomplete about it. I mean, uh, it's a staff that we know very little about. I mean we know that this is going to be a massively analytics driven organization. Fine. I mean I'm all for analytics and I think people look at the word analytics like a dirty word. I mean analytics is really just the, you know, the acquisition and use of of data. I mean it doesn't mean, you know, that you're sitting there behind a computer and not doing football things, but they are going to be structured much differently than probably any other front office and trickle down through the coaching staff as well. Obviously, they have pieces in place, though. Like, it came out recently that Odell had a surgery after the year and that he played through some things all year. Like, that showed up. I mean, how much different is their season if Odell is really Odell, you know? And I think Baker's a better player than he looked for much of the year. I think they have the resources and the aggressiveness to go help their offensive line and do some things. So, I'm not saying they're a bounce-back team or – the pundits were right that Cleveland should have been the the Vegas favorite to win the North or anything like that. But I do think that there's potential for optimism. Let's put it that way. Cautiously.
0: Yeah. And it's hard to know because they're a young staff and that doesn't mean they're not a good staff, but there might be some growing pains and it's a wait and see situation there in Cleveland, but there is some talent. So there is reason to be optimistic about this young group at the top and uh, the players on the field, which are talented and we'll see if it all comes together And they have the right mix of coaches and front office people there. Uh, Matt, before we get into the Hall of Fame stuff, there was a couple of notes during the Super Bowl commercials that I tend to not pay much attention to. Hmm. I was going and getting some more ribs or cleaning the ribs off my fingers or taking notes (laughs) on the game or, you know, fixing up a beverage, whatever I was doing during the Super Bowl, during, during the commercials that I don't pay much attention to. But I did see a couple that I think are important that we need to talk about. One was that Vernon Davis announced his retirement during a commercial, which was interesting there. And Vernon Davis now no longer an NFL player, a fantastic career at tight end, started with the Niners, a freak of nature coming out of Maryland. Uh, for, I think he ran 4'3", something as a tight end, 250 pounds. I mean, he's a freak in a straight line, a little bit of a tight guy, but had a long career too, ended up with Washington, put up some great numbers, and he's among uh, one of the, best ever at tight end for the 49ers who have had a lot of good tight ends and a lot of best uh, near the top of the best ever tight ends in the NFL after his long career
1: yeah it's interesting because he was a high school kid when I was the recruiting assistant at Pitt and we recruited the Maryland area very heavy I mean that was very much our recruiting area so I watched a lot of tape of him junior senior year wow was he a freak I mean like Kickoff returner, you know, fastest guy on the field. At that point, he was probably 235, 240, something like that. And you mentioned it. I mean, you talk about one of the freakiest combine performances ever put out there. It was Vernon Davis. And in a way, he had a great career and a very underrated career, like you mentioned. And he was a pretty good blocker. He could bend, he was explosive as a blocker, move blocker. In a way, imagine if he was coming out today though. You know, like he might be, I mean, he was a very early pick, but if you give him the Sean Payton or Shanahan or Belichick, like in a way, he was a little bit ahead of his time.
0: He absolutely was. He could block too, he was a strong guy. Uh, but just that pure power and pure speed, and it was funny because I would see him catch the ball and run and take off in space, and he would try to make a move sometimes. I'm like, "What are you doing trying to make a move? Lateral movement is not your thing. Go fast. Go through this guy. Go around him. Go um, goes just go straight because that's where his power was, and he could jump. And you know, he had some dropsies early in his career. He had the big moment yeah. with hugging Singletary on the sideline, making the catch in a big game for the 49ers. So uh great career for Vernon Davis and an interesting way for him to go out. And I think he's trying to have a little bit of an acting career, which I think is why he wanted to be in, in some of those commercials and, and do some of that stuff. He had the fake, um, the fake sitcom commercial with a couple of guys. And that was a, a fun commercial to see one more quick note on the Super Bowl commercials. And I think this is probably one of those things that doesn't need to be made a ton of, but there was the, there was that cryptic message that, The Tom Brady sent out on Twitter before the Super Bowl of him walking out of a darkened tunnel and he's like, "Okay, is this retirement? What's he trying to say? He kind of knew something was up and then it was revealed during the Super Bowl during a commercial. And he said, I'm not going anywhere during this commercial. Did he announce and maybe we didn't pick up on it or or think strongly enough of that announcement? Did he announce he's staying either in the NFL or particularly staying with the Patriots who said they're willing to go up to 30 million dollars for him now?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I watched that as well, kind of thought the same thing. There was people saying that it might be Kobe related, you know, and I don't think that's what there was at all. Um, I don't know. I I mean, he just doesn't seem like – I always think of him as such a businessman and and everything about playing the game and quarterbacking and avocado ice cream and, you know, just no games and no fun. But – I don't know what to think of it. I mean, all along, I've kind of thought the best spot for him is New England. Give it one more shot. Uh, Now you're kind of the underdog in the AFC. But to go to Oakland or Vegas, I, I'm going to say that wrong every time, and, and learn Gruden's offense or go to Carolina and a whole new system, I just don't think that's going to end well. It reminds it's like Joe Namath with the Rams type of deal or Willie Mays with the Mets, you know, like just go back to where you where you've had success and where, you know, the lay of the land and give it one more shot.
0: Yeah. Flirt with some teams, have some fun. You you get to, a chance to be a free agent at 42 years old. That doesn't happen very often. And there will be some teams interested uh, and maybe have that contract where you don't have to take a pay cut like he has been in the past and so get a nice little bit from the patriots go back josh mcdaniels didn't go anywhere to become a head coach so i think that's an important factor there maybe sign aj green and give it one more go there in new england
1: yeah right or hunter henry or yeah, and a first right. round pick at the other position you know like hey uh I, I do want to come back i have a lot invested in this bill but you got to promise me you're going to get me some weapons and the belichick and the patriots credit i mean they at least Tried it with Sanu and AB, and they didn't totally ignore it. It was just kind of, you know, obviously they didn't work out as well as you'd think. And Nikhil Harry, I mean, how often he's a first round pick on a wide receiver? Yeah, this didn't get any
0: results. All right, let's talk Hall of Fame here, Matt. Yeah, on the other side when we come back. We have five modern era players who were elected to the Hall of Fame, Matt, to go with the 100-year class, and we've got a lot of folks that are in. We've talked about some of them, talked about some of the coaches. Let's start off focusing on the newest class and the latest five members that have been announced, and let's just go one by one here with some of these and um, it's interesting because this was a tough class because I'm looking at these names the guys that got in it's not that they don't deserve it but I don't know that some of these guys deserve it a lot more than the guys that did not get in who are among the 15 finalists let's start with the safety position before we do I just want to
1: expand on that point too and I just think it's a bad class like I know that's terrible to to say and (laughs) ugliest girl to beauty pageant I mean I get it all these dudes are awesome and even the non-finalists, like your guy, Patrick Willis, to me, deserves it as much, at least as, as some of these guys that got in. He wasn't even a finalist. That right. makes me crazy. But I do think as years go, this one is very, very weak. And I know it's the 100th season, so they're putting in 10 old dudes, which I'm fine with, um, an extra coach than they usually do. I mean, they're adding some extra guys. But still, this is the same structure as it is every year, where they're putting in five players from the modern era, you know, some that are first ballot guys. And in the end, I really only thought of this class. Three of the finalists were truly deserved. And one of them didn't get in that I thought was deserving.
0: Yeah, uh, I think we'll definitely get to that one. I want to start with the safeties because there was multiple safeties that were among the finalists. And a couple did get in. Let's start with Steve Atwater. Denver Broncos, great, big hitter. I mean, if if Twitter existed and YouTube existed back in the day when Steve Atwater collided with Christian Okoye, you know, that would have been a broken the Internet (laughs) moment on on that Sunday. Uh, That's one of the things I remember about Steve Atwater, just a big hitter in a different era of football for the Denver Broncos. How do you feel about him getting in?
1: Yeah, he's one of the ones I didn't think was quite deserved. And again, I sound very cynical to say that. I mean, and we have seen a little more safety love of late from the Hall of Fame, which I think is great because their their role is constantly expanding. And today's NFL safeties are vital, you know, compared to in previous years, uh, previous, previous decades. But to me, Atwater belongs on that Broncos Ring of Fame or whatever how the they call it, you know, their specific team, and maybe you know, you know retire his number. Great career, but I think when you start putting some of these guys in, you water it down a little bit. And I said that when Terrell Davis went in, and hey, it's nothing against the Broncos. I just thought he was Hall of Very Good, and I think Atwater is the same boat to me.
0: Hall of very good. Absolutely. And we've talked about this before on the program. And it's the reason I'm not a big fan of the Hall of Fame is that the, wherever you draw the line is is how great the Hall of Fame is. Right. So yeah. the, the better the player that doesn't get in really means the guys that in are in. And if, if there's any question, you don't get in. I think that's probably the way I would go about it. And and the other thing is it's personal. If you grew up a Broncos fan in the 90s, you love Steve Batwater. You might even have this old of jersey course. as a kid that. That you have hanging on your wall, right? And he's a hall of famer, no doubt for you. Same way I feel about Roger Craig, who's never going to get in, who deserves it to me. But hall of very good, I think. And when you look at the safeties here, Troy Polamalu is the other guy that gets in, and I am much more with Troy Polamalu getting in because of the way he played and the the style he played, and I think the impact he made versus someone who's just a big hitter and a really good player, in Steve Atwater. To me, Troy Polamalu much better, much more impactful. Even, and I saw both guys play. Maybe I was older when I saw Polamalo. Am, am I wrong about that, thinking that Polamalo deserves it more than Atwater?
1: See, I was thinking that too, that, I mean, I think naturally you're going to remember the guys that retired more recently. You know, I mean, and I was a more of an advanced analyst at that point, you know, and I was doing this for a living. I didn't watch Atwater's career start to finish through an analyst lens professionally. And, of course, Troy's in my hometown. But I'm doing my best to put biases aside, and this is going to be kind of Steeler-ish. And you talked about your Roger Craig love, and I'm sure you have a case for Willis as well. But to me, Troy and Ed were the safeties of the generation. Like, if safeties are going to get in the in the Hall of Fame, which they obviously are, this guy is as much of a no-brainer as Ed Reed and, you know, kind of close to the Ronnie Lott comparison, where those two defined the safety position for a decade or more and led two of the absolute elite defenses in Pittsburgh and Baltimore year after year after year. And, yeah, there was Ray Lewis and Suggs, and the Steelers had multiple other great players. And this one's just because I'm so close to it, but I can promise you when teams prepared for Palomalu defenses, the number one thing that they were worried about, the most preparation they put in, First set of eyes when you come to the line of scrimmage and break the huddle for the quarterback is where's number 43?
0: When I look at the four safeties that were finalists of the 15 finalists for the Hall of Fame in 2020, it was the two mentioned that got in, Steve Atwater and Troy Polamalu, and the other two were John Lynch and and, uh, Leroy Butler. And if I was just ranking those four safeties, I would probably put them Polamalu, Lynch, and maybe even Butler over Atwater. So to me, it's obvious that John Lynch is the guy who got the snub here and a rough weekend for him, not getting elected to the hall on Saturday and then blowing a 20 to 10 lead in the fourth quarter during the Super Bowl Sunday.
1: You agree, though, that of those four safeties, Troy, Gap, and then whoever you like second.
0: Absolutely. I just think yeah. that John Lynch's career was, he was Atwater plus because he was the thumper, but I just think he, I don't know, he just seemed more impactful to me when I watched. The great Tampa Bay Buccaneers defenses versus the Denver Broncos of, you know, the 90s and into the early 2000s for John Lynch. Uh, such a great career. Then he goes to Denver and they have a great defense. there, just so impactful. I just think John Lynch, I think there might be a gap as well there, but there is a gap after Troy for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, if you're unsure, I think you decide on keeping those guys out, which makes it such an amazing honor. And I would be very unsure of those other three safeties.
0: Isaac Bruce is a Hall of Famer, such a great career, kind of 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 superstar receivers of his era. He ran a little bit under the radar. I mean, he was just awesome. He was an awesome player in his early career, and he was dynamic, and then uh, as he got older, just became this prototype, and even though he wasn't your 6'2", 6'3", guy, he was just a prototype, move the chains, always open, savvy, go-to wide receiver.
1: Yeah, he wouldn't have got my vote. I mean, he was another one that I thought was closer to the Hall of Very Good. But I think Bruce is more deserving than Atwater. Um, put up massive numbers. I I don't know who's better, though. Isaac Bruce or Tory Holt, you know, on the same teams, same roles, basically. Um, another one that's gr- greatly aided by system. And Martz was very ahead of his time with The Greatest Show on Turf. But overall, I don't have a big problem with it. But if I was the final vote, Bruce wouldn't have gotten in. So he does have numbers. He has production. One of my Hall of Fame stigmas is were you ever, and this goes back to Eli, we talked about a lot, were you ever one of the very, very best in, in the league at your position? And I'd have to look through history a little bit more, but I would say Bruce was close, but not ever number one or two.
0: It's crazy that he's top five all time in receiving yards, and I think he, yeah. he played so long and was so good for so long, even though he wasn't the best because there was guys like Randy Moss and T.O. and Jerry T. O., Rice, obviously, right. and uh, Larry Fitzgerald. All four of those guys are ahead of him on the list of all-time receiving yards, uh, but he's five all time, and he played for so long and was really good. Again, might be another Hall of very good, but when you put up those type of numbers and you end up all-time top five at your position, I think that's one of those things where you've Accumulated enough stats that they're going to put you in, even though I'm with you. The line might be wherever Isaac Bruce is; it's just right above him. But I think yeah, he's even yeah, closer yeah. than Atwater to me, and and I see why he got in. But yeah, it does. It's not like oh, he's a no doubt Hall of Famer. Boom, Isaac Bruce changed the game. He's not that type of player.
1: I agreed, I, I'm with you on that. And to show that I'm not a total stealer homer, I've often said, and I'm and when we, when T, when Terrell Davis got in. I thought the worst running backs in the Hall of Fame were Curtis Martin and Jerome Bettis. And to me, they were the line. If you were better than them, you're in. If you're not, you're out. I thought Davis was lesser than those two. And Bruce is kind of that level for me, kind of like a Bettis or a Martin, great career. But, I mean, if you're making the case for Bruce, the argument might start and finish, like you said, that only four guys have more receiving yards than this guy ever.
0: And it seems like maybe the Hall of Fame did draw their line just below Isaac Bruce because another guy who's top 10 in receiving yards all time, Reggie Wayne, did not get in.
1: Yeah, and Bruce has been eligible longer, so I do think the committee, you know, if, you, if you've heard the case year after year after year on these guys, you might sink in and say, okay, I gave him a no last year, but I'm going to give him a yes this year. And that leads me to something I'm very excited about today. We're, we're recording this Tuesday. We always record around noon Eastern, give or take. Um, my buddy, Dale Lawley, represented the Steelers this year on the Hall of Fame committee. And it's usually Ed Bouchette, but he kind of handed it over to Dale this year. So Dale made the case for Fanica and Paul Amalu. And Dale and I host that Steeler radio show together and we're good buddies and um i'm really excited to pick his brain of what was the logic behind all these guys uh what's the process really like you know he was pretty excited about and did a lot of preparation for you know his Steeler side of things so uh, maybe i'll have some stories tomorrow from dale
0: oh yeah looking forward to that one and actually you mentioned a the name there that we're gonna have to get into here in alan fanica and that guard position in the hall of fame next Steve Hutchinson did get elected to the Hall of Fame at guard. I uh, just want to run through the last one, Edron James, just in case we don't get a chance to to mention his name was the the fifth and final of the, the modern guys that did get in here. But I want to talk about Steve Hutchinson, who absolutely deserves it. Uh, he was the best at his position for a long time. I think the linemen are getting... Uh, Both offensive and defensive linemen are are getting a little bit of the shaft here with some other guys that accumulated tons of stats at other positions. But Steve Hutchinson gets in. I don't have a problem with it. But Alan Fanica, to me, also maybe should have gotten in. And I was a little bit surprised when I saw the list that it didn't have Fanica on it as well.
1: I wrote an article this this summer when times were kind of slow saying you knew who the guys are going to be up for for the, the Hall of Fame were. And I wrote I picked my five this is before finalists were ever made and I ranked them how deserving they were. And my final five were in order of most deserving, in my opinion, Troy, Hutch, Fanica, Edge, Willis. And the more I think about it, I probably would put Bruce ahead of Willis and Edge. And like we just said, we just talked about him quite a bit. So I don't have a problem with Edger and James going in. And again, I think it's a very weak class and most years he would not have been in my top five, but it goes back to who had a better career edge, Jerome, Curtis Martin again, you know, like I think I would rather have Jerome or Martin's career than edge. You know, it's what's that line you draw and boy, it was nice pay- playing with Peyton Manning as well, but he was also a little ahead of his time too, in terms of receiving skills.
0: Yeah, so great as a receiver, which I think maybe goes underrated when you look at Edger and James all-time. But he still did uh, end up 13 on the all-time rushing list yardage-wise, running the ball, and you added his uh, receiving skills in there too. So I don't have a huge problem with Edger and James getting in, but I think having James in there, I think, opens the door for some other guys to potentially get in, like Roger Craig, who was the OG 1,000-yard runner, 1,000-yard receiver. Um, They're similar to me. Right. Yeah. He was, you know, uh, he was, awesome. yeah. yeah, I think not a, Roger Craig was almost a fullback at a, at a certain point in college and just more of a thumper. So I mm-hmm. think maybe that's something that Edron James is a little bit more athletic and he wasn't a wow athlete. Roger Craig, but he's such a great receiver and just I mean that it's a Super Bowl winning type of running back, which is what I loved about him. And you can say the same about Edger and James when you can do everything for an offense. It's so impactful. Um, I do want to look at some of these guys who did not get in. Bryant Young, who was dominant, he was the best defensive tackle for a time, and he'll probably never get in, but man, and and I'm definitely biased there as a 49er, but he was, I mean, he was dominant. Teams were double-teaming Bryant Young on the inside of that 49ers defensive line and still singling up with Dana Stubblefield, who ended up winning Defensive Player of the Year because they still knew that Bryant Young is the guy you had to block. I mean, he was impactful, and he was uh, better than some other guys. John Randall. At their peak, Bryant Young was a better football player. He had the nasty broken leg, and his career kind of got cut short a little bit. Patrick Willis like with how his career longevity will be looked at, which might hurt his chances for the Hall, but I love Bryant Young. Um, I I
1: wonder if defensive tackles that don't put up gigantic numbers and Richard Seymour's a little bit in this conversation too, Will Fork will come up soon, that just demand double team after double team. Like This process isn't real kind to them.
0: Yes, exactly. And offensive linemen. It's it's always going to be a little bit too late when you realize how good someone is and it's almost like you just look at them and you're like, okay, what's their reputation? How long do they play? Okay, that's the only thing you have to go by. You don't have these statistics. You don't say, oh, this guy's Mm -hmm. top 10 all time and. Whatever pancakes, you know you don't do that with with linemen. So it is a lot more difficult for some of the guys who um, whose job was a little bit dirtier, and they were interior guys. Richard Seymour is another one who was just a flat out stud. Who I don't think will ever. I don't think he's going to get in. Get in get right. my vote. Uh, Zach Thomas did not get in. I I loved Zach Thomas, but again Hall is very good for me, so I don't think he deserved to get in. Um, Sam Mills did not get in. I thought he might, which is a little bit surprising. Tony Baselli. And then we mentioned uh, Alan Vanica. Those uh, were the finalists that did not get in this year.
1: Yeah. And of the group of all the finalists, Vanica has been a finalist the most years in a row. And I did, you know, I, I agree that I thought that Hutch was slightly more deserving of the two, but I really thought Fanica and Hutchinson were very much the Troy and Ed of the guard position for their entire careers, where they were clearly the best two in the league by a wide margin. And, I know there aren't really offensive line stats, and I only know this because Dale and I talk so much about the Fanica case, is his Pro Bowls, Super Bowls, you know, there's not much you can put on a resume for an offensive lineman, but his is actually better than Hutchinson's.
0: Tony Vasselli is an interesting case because in scouting circles and you talk about draft prospects, the best compliment you can give someone is like, oh, this could be the next Tony Baselli," because that's what you want someone to be. But his career was so short, I think about six years. Then uh, he was drafted in that expansion draft to the Houston Texans and never played again, put on IR. And that was the end of his career. So too short. But he was like the stud offensive tackle.
1: And, and if I was presenting Baselli, I would say, well, you put Terrell Davis in similar case, you know, didn't have the longevity. And Baselli absolutely cl- clicks the, you know, checks the box of this was one of the truly, truly elite offensive tackles of his generation. Like I think of him in the same light as Pace, Walter Jones, Ogden. They're all in or going in and have a better case because they lasted longer. But he was as good a football player pretty much as all those guys, or at least on the same tier. Yep. Walter yep. Jones was crazy.
0: Absolutely agree. And obviously he doesn't have the, the face time that someone like Terrell Davis had and the, the rings that someone like Terrell Davis had. So that right. hurts his case. I don't know that Baselli will ever get in, but I agree. I don't his, know that playing
1: in Jacksonville helps a lot.
0: Yeah, it definitely does not help. But, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's a great point. Ogden, yeah. Walter Jones, Orlando Pace, Baselli was that guy, just had a shorter career. Yeah. All right, out of time, good stuff. Matt, uh, Hall of Fame, always an interesting conversation. Hit me up at BD Peacock on Twitter. Well, one last
1: note, I'm sorry, because oh, sure. I'm going to ask Dale this directly. I'm going to ask him, do you think it hurt Fanica that three Steelers, including Cower and Donnie Shell, had already gotten in, and a guard was already getting in? like? Can't take two guards and a four stealer. I wonder if that hurt Fanica at all. And it's like this,
0: this is that, uh, that centennial class. If it needs to be a bigger class, I thought that's something they might do. So I thought we might see a lot more of these guys go in and even some of them that didn't make the, uh, the finalist list. I thought it was just gonna be this massive class and get all these guys in and, and clear the backlog since there's so many good players that are gonna be coming up soon that retired more recently, but uh, that, that wasn't really the case. It was sort of a smaller class yeah. once it got to the modern group, just those five guys getting in, and it will be interesting to know what that line was, and we'll never know, actually, because that's the argument. That's why we're talking yeah. about it, because the line, it's not like uh, watching NFL Sunday where you get the blue line where you see the line of scrimmages. You don't know where that Hall of Fame line <laughs> is going to be ever, and it kind of moves.
1: Man, I bet it moves year to year, and it seems like it's getting a little softer than it used to be.
0: And we would love to hear who your snubs are. Who do you think deserved it? Didn't deserve it? Even guys who weren't finalists that you think uh, are not getting enough credit. Hit me up on Twitter at bdpeacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL. We've got a Twitter Thursday coming up this week, so tag us in those questions, and we'll be back tomorrow right here, locked on NFL.